going to turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 8, again. Recently, we looked at the story of the healing of the woman who had the issue of blood. And now we want to look at the other miracle that took place at the same moment in time, the healing of the daughter of Jairus. Verse 40 of Luke's Gospel, chapter 8. It says, And it came to pass that when Jesus was returned, the people gladly received him, for they were all waiting for him. Behold, there came a man named Jairus. He was a ruler of the synagogue. He fell down at Jesus' feet and besought him that he would come into his house. For he had only one daughter, about twelve years of age. She lay a-dying, and as he went, the people thronged him. The woman, having an issue of blood twelve years, which had spent all her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any, came behind him and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her issue of blood stanched. Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied, Peter and they that were with him said, Master, the multitude throng thee and press thee and sayest thou, Who touched me? Jesus said, Somebody hath touched me, for I perceive that virtue is gone out of me. When the woman saw that she was not hid, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared unto him before all the people for what cause she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said unto her, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. While he yet spake, there cometh one from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying to him, Thy daughter is dead. Trouble not the master. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him, saying, Fear not, Believe only, and she shall be made whole. When he came into the house, he suffered no man to go in, save Peter and James and John and the father and the mother of the maiden. And all wept and bewailed her, but he said, Weep not, she is not dead, but sleepeth. They laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead. And he put them all out and took her by the hand and called, saying, Maid, Arise. And her spirit came again, and she arose straightway. And he commanded to give her meat. And her parents were astonished. But he charged them that they should tell no man what was done. Amen. And God will bless the reading of his word. Now, to be told that your child is dying is every parent's worst nightmare. Because so much of our hopes and our dreams and our aspirations are tied up in our children. And most parents would do anything to preserve the life of just one of their children. In fact, most parents would give their lives in order to preserve the life of their children. And here we're going to run in 
in this story to a man, a very respectable man, but a man with a desperate problem. His daughter, his only daughter, his only child, is dying. He's heard about Jesus Christ. Maybe he's even witnessed some of the miracles that Christ has accomplished. And he's willing to leave aside all his religious prejudice and all his pride as someone so significant in that community to get the help of this prophet of Nazareth. And we're told in verse 41 there, it begins with this word, and behold. The writer is telling us, pay attention. Really, look, something remarkable has happened. A man who you wouldn't expect to publicly come to Jesus Christ, a ruler of the synagogue, a wealthy, respected, powerful man, from a group of people who generally despise the Lord Jesus Christ. This man came to Jesus Christ. Now, sometimes we say when you read the Bible in English, it's like watching television in black and white. But when you read the Bible in the original, it's like watching color television. It, it becomes more alive. And when you read the New Testament in the original language, it really says this, when he came to Jesus, he fell down before Jesus, and the verb that's used for besought is the verb in the original that's in the present continuous tense. So it has the idea of this, he fell before Jesus and repeatedly, over and over, pleads with Jesus to come to his home to heal his daughter. Here's a man whose daughter has been the life of his life for 12 years. The same number of years that the woman had the issue of blood. She had 12 years of misery. He had 12 years of joy and happiness with this child. Suddenly, the light is about to be snuffed out. And it's as if she's in ICU, on life support. No doubt he's exhausted his wealth and his influence with all the doctors that money can buy and all the specialists that he could obtain help from. And he knows now there's no hope, humanly speaking, from his wealth, from his contacts, and from his influence. And he's willing to embarrass himself, willing to humiliate himself in his desperation, in running to Jesus Christ and falling before him and repeatedly begging Jesus Christ to come and touch his daughter. Now, he would have known that doing that would not go down very well with the other leaders. He would know that behaving that way, people would tut-tut and say, this is not the done thing for someone in your position. 
But this man was desperate to see his daughter healed. And the fatal illness of this little girl is here in the Bible recorded to remind us, if we needed reminded, that disease and death are not something that simply applies to older people or elderly people. You go to the hospital, as I often go in and out of hospitals, and you'll discover, yes, there's a geriatric ward, but there's also a children's ward. If you go to the graveyard, you'll discover there are old people buried there, but there's also young people buried there. There's babies buried there. Death, tragedy, can strike any person at any time. And this man, Jairus, although he, as I said, was a very respectable man, being a ruler of the synagogue, he set all that aside because he was desperate to see his daughter healed. And you know, when God brings tragedy and difficulty to our life, there's always a reason. There's always a reason why he's trying to get our attention. Uh, maybe not just for us, but for others around us. And he's got the attention of this man, Darius. And Darius now has set aside all the priorities to focus on this one great priority. The deliverance, the healing of his daughter. And if you go to hospital tonight, go to the ICU, you discover nobody's concerned about the latest iPhone. You know, Mr. Nobody's concerned about the biggest house that they can get for their money. Nobody's concerned about getting a better career. Everybody's focused on the most important thing, their life, their health. And here Jairus is just giving us an example that the most important thing in life is our life. Sometimes we forget that. I was driving down the old Glenarm Road this morning to go to speak in another church. And as I was going down, the sun was shining. I looked to my right and I saw the football fields filled with children and young people taking advantage of the good weather. And when I made my way home to Brasheen, I could see there was another crowd out at the rugby grounds. Young people, all excited to enjoy this little window of good weather. I thought to myself, where's the fear of God? Where's the thought of God in all of this? And there's a tendency in all of us, if we're honest, when things go so well that we ignore God. In fact, when things go too well, we ignore God. And even amongst God's people, it can happen. Even amongst good people, it can happen. If you turn, and I wasn't intending to do this, turn to the book of Deuteronomy. In the Old Testament, chapter 32, 
before Moses died, he really gave a number of sermons. Really, this was like a week of meetings he gave. And he began to preach and teach the children of Israel in his last series of messages some very pertinent lessons about the future, things that were burdens that God had laid upon his heart. Now, he was about to die and leave them. Just after he finished preaching these messages, he was taken home to heaven. And they would be left behind, a new generation, a much younger generation than him. And they would go into the promised land, the land of Canaan, and there they would receive this great inheritance. They would be given homes they didn't build, and farms they didn't plant, toil and labor over, all freely given to them by God. And God revealed something to Moses about human nature, particularly even amongst God's people that can easily happen when things go too well. Because in Deuteronomy 32, Moses predicts the future. And he describes the blessings that would come to them as a nation. Verse 15, he says, But Jeshurun, that's a, a kind of a beautiful name, nickname almost, that God used for Israel, his people. He said, But Jeshurun, notice the next two words, waxed fat. They, they got wealthy. This is what was going to happen to them in the promised land. They were slaves in Egypt with nothing. They lived as refugees in a sense, like gypsies in the wilderness, living in tents, just waiting for the manna and the water. They had no crops, they had no homes. But when they got into the promised land, oh, things were going to change. They were going to have big homes, big farms. They were going to enjoy all the finest food that money could buy with that wonderful Mediterranean climate there in the Middle East. Even you go to Israel today, you can see in the marketplace all the colors of the flowers and the fruits that are there in that wonderful climate. And God says when they get into the promised land, they're, they're going to become fat of the wealth and the produce. But notice what comes next. Verse 15. And kicked. Oh, there's a, a little hint. There's some rebellion coming. They're going to kick out. It says then they kicked. And then this is really a prediction, prophecy of the Lord. Thou art waxed fat. Thou art grown thick. Thou art covered with fatness. And then notice what happens. Then he, that's the nation, forsook God. Forsook God which made him and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. You know, I'm sure Jairus didn't have a lot of time for Jesus Christ until that problem came to his house. I'm sure for 12 years, as his daughter was growing up, oh, oh, he went through the rituals of Judaism and he went to the synagogue and he enjoyed his position and his status. But we don't read that Jairus 
had any interest in Jesus Christ until this crisis came. Like the nation of Israel, maybe like you, Jairus was enjoying life. Things were going so well for him until the moment he got the news about his daughter. And death and disease and problems can come just like that. Reminds me of the story of Naaman the leper. It says in the book of Kings that Naaman was a mighty man. He was a great man. He was a man who was highly respected and loyal to his king and highly regarded by his king. And it tells us he was a mighty man of valor. And then it ends the verse with these words. But he was a leper. There's problems. When the problems came, all the position and the power and the glory that Naaman had, oh, they weren't so important anymore. But then look at the trial that came to Jairus in Luke's Gospel, chapter 8. He came to Jesus, and really the first trial, test of this man's character and his faith, was just to go to Jesus. Because that required you to humble yourself. That required you to be humiliated. It would have created a scandal particularly among his peers. We can imagine after this incident that Jairus was no longer a ruler in the synagogue. The people no longer respected him the same way. He had to face that trial. Are you willing to humble yourself and come to Jesus Christ and plead for help? But then, the second test or trial of his face, we discover, was, it says that when Jesus agreed to go with him, verse 42, as he went, the people thronged him. There was a great crowd. Suddenly, no doubt Jairus is saying, well, the humiliation is worth it. In this sense, at least Jesus is coming to my house. And Mark tells us, he said to Jesus, if you could just touch my daughter, uh, no doubt maybe he had heard that Jesus touched people and they had been healed. And in a kind of superstitious way, maybe, he thought, well, if Jesus can just touch my daughter, she'll be healed. And as he was making his way home with Jesus through the crowd, suddenly there comes an interruption. And a woman sticks out her withered, worn hand, grabs the hem of Jesus' garment, one of the tassels. And as we saw a couple of weeks ago, Jesus paused. And to Jairus' horror, a bit like the ambulance getting stuck in a traffic jam, Jesus didn't go on. He stopped and he turned around and he said, Who touched me? And you can almost think Jairus is, mind Jairus is saying, come on, I need to get to my home. The daughters, the girl is dying. She may die at any moment. 
You're delaying for a woman who's had a problem for 12 years? Sure, you could heal her tomorrow. Another day wouldn't do any harm in her situation. Now, he doesn't say anything, but you can be sure that he's thinking those things. And Jesus began this conversation with the woman. But you know, the delay was a trial for Jairus. But it was also an encouragement to Jairus. Because as he witnessed what happened to that woman, he should have been able to pick up the parallels with what he needed from Jesus. Because here was a woman who had suffered for 12 years. His daughter was 12 years old. Here was a woman who had an incurable problem that money couldn't fix. And he had an incurable problem that money couldn't fix. And not only that, here was a woman who was fully whole, fully healed, and instantly healed by Jesus Christ. And he had a daughter who needed completely healed and needed instantly healed. So even the little delay was a blessing to Jairus. Even the trial was a blessing to Jairus. But then a third trial came to Jairus, a third test, because we read that as they had just managed to deal with this woman, and maybe Jairus, you could imagine he's breathing a sigh of relief, at last, the interruption is over. We can get to my house as they were making their way for the second time, someone arrived from Jairus's house with a message that Jairus was dreading. And here was the message. The man came in verse 49 and said to Jairus in front of the Lord Jesus Christ, thy daughter is dead. Nothing else matters now. Trouble not them. Too late. Oh, maybe if Jesus had been there earlier, he, he could have touched her like the woman touched the hem of his garment. She could have been healed from the disease, but now she's dead. It's too late. No coming back from this. And any hope that Jairus had for his daughter now turned to hopelessness. And this man said to him in front of Jesus, don't, don't bother the master anymore. It's over with Jairus. Whatever you had to do to get him to come to your house, it wasn't worth it, Jairus. The humiliation wasn't worth it, Jairus. You can imagine the devil was whispering in his ear and saying, Jesus, let you down, Jairus. If God really loved you, Jairus, he would have got there early. But now it's too late. Now there's no hope. Now there's no way of mercy. But the interesting thing in this story 
is that Jairus says nothing. Doesn't respond. And Jesus looks at him, and I believe that Jairus' faith has been growing as he witnessed what Jesus did to the woman. Jesus said these words to him in verse 50. Fear not. Fear not. Believe only. And she shall be made whole. Fear not. He says, I know what I'm doing, Jared. You just trust me on this. And he adds the promise, your daughter will be made completely whole. But if that wasn't a big enough test for Jairus, he arrives home. When they get home, we're told, they all, the family are there, and the neighbors are there, and they're all weeping and wailing at the terrible news. And if you've ever been in the Middle East and see how they mourn over the death of a loved one, they make a tremendous scene. And there's people crying and screaming. And then Jesus speaks. And he says to the crowd that are gathered there, he says in verse 52, weep not, don't be stunned. Enough. He says, the girl is not dead. She's just sleeping. And the crowd that hear him say that, they laughed him to scorn. They mocked him. And Jairus is still saying nothing. He's hearing all this. And the majority that are there, maybe many of them are his own family members. Maybe many of them are his own synagogue leaders. And they're all standing on one side and they're saying the situation is impossible, hopeless. There's no way that this child can come back from the dead and this crackpot you brought into this house to mock us. He says to Jesus, wait. Well, what a test of Jairus' fear. He's going through at this moment, isn't it? Will he go with the majority, the experts, or will he still believe that Jesus can heal his daughter, can raise her up from her death? Now, bear in mind, up to this point in the ministry of Jesus, no one has ever been raised from the dead yet. Yes, he's healed lepers and blind people, and this woman with the issue of blood, but no one, at least that Jairus has ever seen, has come back from the dead. And will he trust? Will he believe in Jesus? Well, notice what happens next. Verse 54. And Jesus put them all out. So he put all the skeptics out. He put out all the mockers. But he didn't put Jairus out. Didn't put his wife out. They hadn't given up. And he went and 
took the little girl by the hand, and Mark's gospel tells us he used an Aramaic expression that really means little damsel, little girl. I remember he had spoken to the woman with the issue of blood and called her daughter. And he uses a similar expression for this little girl with her cold, dead hand, and he took it by the hand and he said to her, damsel, little girl, little one, I say unto you, arise. And just like that, the life flowed back into that little girl. We're told, verse 55, her spirit came again, and she arose straightway. She didn't get up and sort of stumble out of the bed. When Jesus heals a person, he really heals a person. It's the same spirit. When Jesus saves a person, he doesn't half save them. He doesn't take away some of your sins. He completely heals you. He completely saves you. And the little girl got up, completely healed, just as if she had never been sick in the first place, just as if she had never died. And Jesus commands the parents to give her to eat. No doubt he did that to prove that she's really alive. Maybe also to take their eyes of what had just happened to get them to respond in a practical way. And it says in verse 56, and her parents were astonished. They're absolutely blown away by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ that day. And we can only imagine the joy the happiness of that family on that special day. It was a day they would never forget. It was a day that, till their dying day, they would relive, no doubt, over and talk about over and over again the day Jesus came into their home and saved their little girl, changed their little girl. Now, you may say to me tonight, that's just a very heartwarming story. It's a very interesting story. But what relevance has it to me and Larne in the 21st century? Well, you may even say to me, well, I'm glad that Jesus healed that little girl, brought her back from the dead. But what about my illness? my family's illnesses. What about their deaths? How come he doesn't bring them back? And the key to understanding what's going on in this story is to understand that these miracles are particular miracles used to illustrate something about the attributes and character of Jesus Christ. And to point you and I to a greater moment in history. And the greatest moment that really they're pointing you and I to is the healing 
of a dead person who's spiritually dead, the salvation of a soul. But they're also pointing to a future healing for every child of God in the great resurrection, in the great day when our bodies are redeemed from all the sin and the corruption and the sorrow and the pain and the temptation. And you know, Jairus' daughter, if you go to Israel today, she's not there because she also died later, the second time, and passed off this world a second time. So the healing that day was just a healing that was temporary because a greater healing, a greater redemption would happen, a greater miracle to her body in the future. And what Jesus is saying here that day is not just I have the power of the resurrection and the life. What did he say? I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever lives with me in their heart and I am in their heart has that resurrection power. And one day all will come out of the grave. When they come out, they'll be heals eternally of all sickness and all disease and all pain and all sorrow. And you know, every time you stand at the graveside of a child of God, you're standing on miracle ground. Sometimes when we go to the graveside, there's a lot of tears and a lot of sorrow and even despair but there shouldn't be. Because when you stand at the grave of a child of God, you're standing on a place of rest that won't last. You're standing on resurrection ground, redemption ground, because one day the dead in Christ will break out of the grave. Come forth, never to suffer, again. And if you die tonight, you put in your will that the undertaker should put a sign over your grave that says two words, temporary residence, temporary residence. Because that's all it is for the child of God, temporary rest, just a place of rest. You read the book of Revelation very carefully. And you'll discover that heaven is a place of no pain, no sorrow, no deaths, no graveyards, no temptation, no disease, no toothache, no misunderstandings, no temptation, no devil, no sin. It's a place of absolute and eternal perfection. And one day the dead in Christ shall leave this world. Yes, but they'll come back through to be reunited with their soul to live forever in the new heaven and in the new earth. 
There's a beautiful hymn we like to sing in this church. I was reading it earlier. It says, What a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. But one of the verses says this. Listen to the words. Verse 4 says, There's a light in the valley of death now for me since Jesus came into my heart. And then it goes on to say, and the gates of the city beyond I can see since Jesus came into my heart. Jairus's daughter stands here today, her story, as a reminder that one day Jesus is going to heal you completely from every disease, from every temptation, from every worry, from every fear, from every threat of death in that better land over there. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, you don't have that hope. You don't have that long in your heart. You may want to go to heaven, but you're not going there. And you will leave this world, but you will not go to a better world. You're going to the world of eternal shame and eternal damnation. Jairus' daughter found the healing touch of the master. And you know, his, he's here tonight. And he's willing to heal your soul. Save you from your sins. And just as he healed her instantly and immediately, he's able to heal you instantly and immediately. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the story of the healing from the curse of death of Jairus' daughter. What a reminder it is that Jesus Christ has the power of the resurrection and the life. And all who die in Christ shall never truly die. They just change postcode. And they come up from the grave in the great resurrection of the people of God with a new body, like unto the body of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to believe that. Help us, Lord, to embrace it, even in our darkest moments, that there's one who walks with us, one who lives in us, who has the power of the resurrection and the life. Take away all fear of death. Take away all fear of suffering. Take away all fear of the future. Because we know the one who holds the future in his hand. For these things we ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen.